Welcome to Theology Thursday, an ecumenical space for students to discuss matters of faith and theology. I'm your host, Connor Grubbs. I am your co-host, Ryan Mock. And I'm your co-co-host, Johnny Grubbs. And I'm Mac. We need to come up with a title for you, Mac. Maybe maybe they commented, but we recorded these at the exact same time, so I have no way of knowing what they called me. That's we can ed- Maybe we can edit it in and post. Okay, I'm... Okay, I just moved my mouth. So you <laughs> Insert title here. Yeah, insert. So now that Johnny's heretical side quest is over... That's what I'm going to call the episode. Johnny's, Johnny's Radical Side Quest. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's going to be... They haven't been listening because it's been like, Revelation yeah. Chapter 2. Now we actually one. have clickbait. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's like, well, like, a picture I, of Mac going... <laughs> <laughs> I wanted all of the episodes to be like clickbaity titles, but sometimes you just can't come up with one. You don't want to force it, you know? No, Mac is dressed as a damsel in distress, <laughs> and Johnny's a knight in shining armor, and you're going... I would I would pay for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Patreon exclusive. Um, Okay, we're getting into Revelation chapter three. We're going to wrap up the section on the seven churches, Um, and we might go a little quickly through these last three uh, because here's the thing: these seven letters actually start to get a little repetitive. There's there's there are differences. There are common themes though that pop up. But there are really common themes and that's kind of the main point we want to glean from the seven letters is the common themes. They're common for a reason. But let's go ahead. Ryan, if you would like to read Revelation Revelation chapter three verses one One through through six. six, This is the letter to the church in Sardis. Can I can I give just a a foreshadowing here? This is very this is very it's it's gonna be heretical, isn't it? No 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 it's 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 very brief but it does tie into our last episode. You guys mentioned just now that there's a thread through all seven churches, even though there's, you know, there's a little bit of minute themes that you'll pick up on in between that are specific, but generally speaking, this set of seven can have one main idea. Yep. This happens the whole rest of the book when seven oh, yeah. appears. And, and we've also, uh, you know, one thing we've been talking about in the episodes that we did on the seven churches without you is that um, you know, the author, it, it, there's always like... Uh, things very relevant to the, the area that he's writing to, like that would have been commonly yeah. known historically. And so I've had, a, I've had like a fun fact for each church. Oh, yeah, and, I've got that too. And I, you have fun facts this time? Not a lot of fun facts, but just kind of like a quick like trivia of like just like one, like one little factoid. Well, I have, I have a couple fun facts as well. So maybe we have the same factoids. Anyways, that was, a, that was a nice callback to the previous well, I, episode. Well, I just think it works because it, it, it was actually in my previous notes on Revelation 2 when I, when I had the two tied together is, like, the importance of these seven things. Like, and when we get to the seven judgments, the sets of seven judgments, it's going to be really important. Okay, Ryan is going to be reading from the CSB translation. Yes, Christian Standard Bible. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars... I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white, because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life 
but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So I'm going to give you your first fun factoid. We'll see. You guys might have the same fun factoids. I think we'll probably overlap. Okay, okay, so uh, the thief in the night concept appears several times throughout scripture it's it's also in the gospels and it's mm-hmm. and it's always in reference to jesus's return yes um and so it, it it sort of attributes some urgency to our standing before god um that we, we 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 should approach this decision as if we do not have tomorrow right um he he's gonna his return will be like a thief in the night so are we are we in good standing with god and that shouldn't be weaponized in a way to like strike fear into people like uh, although to believers it's a pretty firm warning yeah. Okay, um, so an his- a historical factoid is that um, twice before the city of Sardis <laughs> you have my factoid. had fallen because watchmen, the watchmen that were supposed to be on the walls, um, they, weren't, they weren't there. And so assailants came in uh, to let in invaders, and so basically that idea of like a thief in the night is kind of... Um, it, they they were kind of uh, they didn't think they needed security because they were on this weird like hill that was very steep and hard to get up, um, but it had happened to this twice twice before. Um, yeah. So so he's you'll notice that in all the letters there's some sort of allusion to historical happenings in the place at the time that they would have been like, oh okay. You stole my factoid. Wait wait wait. They they thought that <clears throat> invaders couldn't get there because it was a steep hill. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to travel to. Um, Were the invaders all, like, chunky? I mean, I guess so. I mean, that would mess with me. Chunky guys can't climb hills? Yes. Johnny? Maybe. I don't know. So, uh, uh, I... uh, Should I let you go next? Do you have another historical factoid? I have a fun fact. No, that's my... You stole my factoid, but I want to connect it to the text, though. Well, I mean, you already kind of did. I kind of did, but... But also, but, like... (laughs) If you want to connect it more, that's fine, but I I, I have another fun fact. Like, I look at, like, verse 2, it says, you know, be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. Like, mm-hmm. this church is a church that I guess they've become complacent, and they're not alert. They're not on watch. And so now Jesus is telling them, hey, be on watch, because just like your city went down twice in history because they're, you know, goofing off, like, you're goofing off right now, and you're about to die. So be alert. Um, I want to see if. Well, no, I just want to point out, like, you know, it, pr- pretty, pretty strict warning. Like, this church stands in danger of being thrown into the lake of fire. Right? I had mentioned throughout Revelation, it's the second death, and whatever your view is on that. I mean, I always see that as like the final destiny of those who. Um, are not in Christ. I mean, there's a, there's a finality to it, mm-hmm. the lake of fire, the second death. And so I, I hold to the view of annihilationism. Um, you said that out loud. Well, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've said it on the podcast. So now we have, we have two heretics now. <laughs> I'm the only one. I'm the, I'm the bulwark yeah, of orthodoxy. John, so, are you not an annihilationist? I am uh, agnostic. Okay. <laughs> well, on that issue. Yeah. <laughs> no, on <Christian>. everything. <laughs> so, 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 Ryan is an so, atheist. So, so, Just on that so, issue. So here's what I'll say. I've said it on the podcast before. That's a far more common view than some of your weird French stuff. Uh, okay, well, hey. His so, French? Let's, we're not getting into that now. No, but, but you're right. John Stott, who's a, who's a prominent British theologian, he's an annihilationist. I used to be sympathetic towards annihilationism. I just really leaned towards it. And I, as, as I've been studying scripture lately, I've been working through the Gospels and then also reading Revelation. Uh-huh. I'm like... 
there's no getting around it. I mean, yeah. that's just there. So anyway, um, we shall see. Yeah, I don't. Have, I, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm I really, agnostic. I, I am the the more I read the Gospels and the more I read Revelation, the less convinced I am that there is any compelling argument for eternal conscious torment. I just don't think it's there. That's a separate conversation. But the Ooh. lake of fire came up the second death. So I. All right, anyway. heretic one, heretic <laughs> two. That's not a heretical view. Matthew, Ryan, am I a heretic? Am I a heretic? Goes to heaven. That's not my point. My right. point is well, just hell that hell is a real place. The, Ryan. the eternal <laughs> destiny of those who are not in Christ is. Non-existence. That's kind of uh, annihilation. Me and Mac are going to start our own podcast. Except that actually... I, I like Halloween, so maybe I am going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're going... By the way, yeah, I don't think annihilationism is, is unorthodox. Okay. I was just being um, goofy. Uh, uh, but also, um, you know, they had a reputation, obviously, from their past deeds of being known, and they kind of went by this name. Um, but basically, they're being called out in this letter for not living up to their name. Uh, uh, to, to the righteous deeds of their past. And my second factoid, would you like to share the fun fact in case I already have it, or do you want me to go first? Because I have one other fun fact for Sardis. It's up to you. I don't want to steal yours. So it, it, no, you had all the thunder see, last I, I episode. Ryan's. The gentlemanly thing to do is to let you go. And if you, yeah, Mac, if you get yours. to decide. Who goes? <clears throat> well... Yeah, I'm gonna go with Ryan. I feel like Johnny had the thunder last time, so let's give it to Connor. Let's throw okay. him. A, let's throw him a softy. All right. <laughs> so the second fun fact. <laughs> Are you scared? I'm scared because I was scared. It's okay. Yeah, but I, I yield. But go ahead. I, you submit. <laughs> okay, so Jesus mentions that there's a few, a few, a select few that have not stained their garments. Oh, okay. Well, then, then you're going to have a third fun <laughs> fact for us. Okay. Um, so an interesting historical correlation here is that the art of dyeing wool was first discovered in Sardis. That was one of their profitable trades. Really? And so commendably, the few names that haven't stained their moral garments the way garment makers in Sardis dye the wool of garments, that's, that's sort of the reference there. Awesome. What's your fun fact? So, you know, you, you talk about the, the watchman and being ever watchful and, and making sure that uh, there was this uh, precedent to live up to their legacy, right, mm -hmm. of like they were pretty serious about their faith and now they're not like really focused anymore, right? And there's a lot of uh, evidence to suggest that part of that too, and we see this throughout the Gospels where Jesus warns against wealth, right, and, and how that can, like, if you're super, I'm not saying that all wealthy people are bad Christians, I'm just saying, like, you can be super wealthy and get so comfortable that you forget how much your faith is important and how much that's really the lasting thing. And so um, Sardis was the place in Asia Minor where coinage was first minted, most historians believe. It was the first instance of the use of modern money. So um, people say that, or at least Barclay says that modern money was born in Sardis. So um, there's a precedent to believe that you know the we know that it was a wealthy city but it, it would it would have been very easy for this to be you know where modern money was kind of coming into fruition for this to have become more of a, a stumbling block to them as they were growing in their faith so just a little fun factoid yeah um coinage a lot of fun facts fun fun facts it's fun fact city um so the solution Right? Mm -hmm. For spiritual inadequacy is to remember and keep the word of the Lord and repent. Okay? This is verse 3. Right. Um, 
And, and honestly, the solution seems to be similar. This is one of the patterns we see across seven churches. There's always a chance for repentance, okay? Um, and, and, and repentance and perseverance seem to be two major themes to the churches here. Um, anything else you'd like to add to Sardis before we move yeah, on? Yeah, just before that, Jesus describes himself. And he, he talks about, you know, the, the seven, he, seven spirits of God, seven stars, all that comes right. back again, right? Um, again, important with seven being the number of completeness, Jesus is making a, a claim or restating a claim about himself that you want real completeness. It's not going to come from money or from being a secure city or from being a great society, right? He's saying completeness, wholeness, everything is found in me yeah. when he relates it back to the seven again. Yeah, and in talking about the seven spirits and seven stars, um, just we mentioned it in the last few episodes, but at the beginning of each letter to each church, uh, there's a reference to part of the description of Jesus mm -hmm. in chapter one, right. that really wacky like vision that we talked about. Um, so there's always a tie into that. So if you're still confused about that, you could go back to our prior episodes where we were at when we were in chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to read uh, verses seven through 13? Yes. you got a nice radio voice when you read, by the way. It's very... Thank you. So this is Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look. I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Fun fact, anyone? Um, y do I? Oh, I don't have any fun facts oh, I, for this I one. I do. Try not to lose my place. You go first. Do you have a fun fact for Philadelphia? I do, actually. Okay. So the city had experienced an earthquake not yeah, long before the letter was written. Me. Ah, now I got to steal one from <laughs> okay, both okay, of you. Before you go on, could I give the fun fact for the next church when we get there? I'll let you give okay. it first. And Thank we you. Probably, I, might, I mean, I, I probably have it, but, you know, I'm just full of fun facts. Um, all right, so, so he's referring to them as, as the pillars of God's temple, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mentioning their faithfulness. And, um, you know, uh, typically today with architecture, pillars um, are often decorative they're not necessarily like weight bearing but back then especially the way that they would build temples places of worship um they were very integral to you know the the, the building's um stability so uh there's this example given you know after they've seen you know many structures come to the ground because of earthquakes god's saying uh, you know you are the pillars of god's temple your faithfulness um 
there's there's no you know earthquake, no no spiritual force that can come against you that that takes that away. Um, I think there's there's other significance with being called the pillars of God's temple too, yeah. particularly for His church because. As Christians, they most they would have been kicked out of the synagogue. Yes, which um, we'll we'll get into. This gets a little harsh. But also for non-Jewish believers in the city that were converted, um, it, just part of your fun fact there. These buildings, like the center, was was an Olympian center. Um, in fact, Philadelphia was sometimes called Little Athens, right? So there was all these beautiful structures, and some of them were pagan. Um, and they were always falling down. And so mm-hmm. uh, it would have been easier for like a convert who may still be kind of stuck a little bit in his paganism to, to, to think, you know, oh, man, like, all, you know, these things are happening. And, and what God is saying is it doesn't matter how many times these beautiful, I- incredible structures fall down. The only kingdom that matters is the kingdom of God. Right. And it's going to remain the eternal, kingdom, which, right? which is something that is throughout Revelation, throughout Scripture, indeed. But. Um, it's just interesting, too, because it was an epicenter of culture, but it just kept, he's like, don't worry about the earthquakes, which is, that's relevant for us today, because when we face natural disaster and things like that, God is saying, the pillars of my structures are eternal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, and I, in fact, I don't think I, I said it in strong enough terms. I, I, I said, oh, they, they experienced an earthquake several years, but they were on a fault line. They experienced yeah. earthquakes all the time. Oh, yeah. so, mm-hmm. they, so they literally would build things in expectation that, oh, they're going to fall soon and we're going to have to rebuild it again. Um, That was just a part of their their daily life. Um, I want to point out just in verse 7, right at the beginning, um, it says the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. Um, And this ties into an Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 22. 22, verse 22. Verse 22. Would you like to... Yes. Elaborate. Okay, so there, there's uh, very clear parallels, yes. right? So in Revelation, it says that he's the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. Isaiah 22, 22 says, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. So very, very clear parallels. It's unmistakably a, um, uh, a callback to Isaiah. And I think the point there is that Jesus has the keys to the kingdom, and he lets us in, you know, and, and nobody could take that away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty simple. The, the idea that the key to the house of David, which he opens and no one can shut, no one can open, that idea, just access to the king and his palace, his presence. So that's pretty pretty simple. Um, here's where things get a little interesting. Okay, it says the the synagogue of Satan, the old which is, synagogue which is, of Satan, which is going to pop up again later. I really want to talk about this because we're actually talking about the Jewish synagogue, right? Pretty sure we saw this in chapter two as well. Yeah, no, this is this is used several times. And I, I mentioned that one of the books I was reading, and I couldn't even finish it. I really tried to give it a fair shot, but I just couldn't because it was so bad, was a, a, a book by um, Arthur W. Pink about the Antichrist. And, I mean, it's just atrocious. I was really trying to give it a fair chance because I'm trying to hear the views. But I got about seven chapters in, and I was like, I can't read 30 chapters of this. This is, this is just ridiculous. It is an extremely anti-Jewish and anti-Catholic, you know, interpretation of Revelation in the end times, um, which is not uncommon in uh, particularly the dispensational kind of reading of, of Revelation and all that. And and some of the very anti-Jew, like 
like part of the, the point of that book was that the Antichrist will be a Jew. Um, and they, they really emphasize that. And part of that comes from the fact that the, the Jewish synagogue in a few of these cities is referred to as the synagogue of Satan. And, and, and look, it is very strong language. But in each of the letters where that is mentioned, you had a very um, large Jewish population. And, and in several of these cities, Philadelphia included, um, they were sort of given um, permission by the government to continue to worship. Um, and they made some compromises to have that status in society, um, but they had freedom of religion, essentially, right? And when people started to break off and worship Christ as the Messiah, uh, they were like, no, those guys aren't with us. That's a cult. Like, they didn't want Christians receiving the same privileges that they did in society. Um, and so they were persecuted, um, in, in some cities, like in this instant, they were persecuted more so by the Jews than by the pagans. I mean, that is where they got the most trouble. And, and the point of this letter and the strong language used against um, the Jews in this city is, is that these are not actually my people. If they're persecuting yeah. you because you have chosen to follow Christ, these are not, you know, really my followers. These are not really God's people like this and it really is emphasizing the new covenant right right but this is not an anti-Jewish text this is not an excuse um to assume that you know Judaism is demonic or that or satanic or or that um you know the whole antichrist is going to be a Jew like don't write a whole book about that because of this verse you're missing the point yeah the implication here is definitely that these particular group of Jews were not even keeping the Jewish faith in the way that they treated Christians. Right. Therefore, alienating himself from Yahweh in any way, shape, or form. Um, so the synagogue of Satan could refer to a collective group that actually, like, the entire synagogue sort of agreed to be against Christians. It could have also referred to a specific uh, group of hyper, you know, fundamental Jews. Although, like you said, they were kind of willing to compromise to stay in favor with the government, which is something that... John it continually tells the churches not to do, you know, mm-hmm. that for themselves within Christendom either. So, um, yeah, so it's it's obviously not talking about uh, Jesus himself was was a Jew. Right. So for him right. to just say synagogue of Satan encompasses everything, especially when he's writing about a particular church, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and there, there were Jewish followers of Jesus. Right, Jesus exactly. was a Jew. There were Jewish followers of Jesus, even in Philadelphia, right? Um, so... This is, especially because we know that to to gain that status, they had to sort of buy into the imperial cult, which oh, yeah. we talked about, you yeah. know, is that there was a very, um, to partake, to have status in society, there was a religious, a spiritual element to that of worshiping their deities, and, and that was very tied into it. There was this imperial cult. And so these, like... By, by, by Jewish standards, these were not good Jews. Right, exactly. They, they yeah. had compromised their like, faith the heck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. to have status in society. Yeah. And, and, and if there's anything that Revelation speaks strongly against, it's, it's compromising your faith to have status in this life and right. in this world. Um, I, I would argue that's one of the main themes of Revelation is persevering um, for the eternal kingdom. You know, and not giving in to the authorities and powers of this world, because we continually see 
uh, language that replaces the authorities and powers of this world with Christ himself, that he is the right. true authority and the ultimate power. So, And you can't have both together. And I think that's an important theme mm-hmm. for our modern culture today, right? It's, it's not like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this imperialism. No, it's like Jesus is saying, that's not, that's going away. You're, you're already part of this new kingdom. Yeah. Very important to note. I love, it just reminds me, this is, you know, side note, um, it reminds me of a song called Citizens. Um, I, I can't remember the artist's name now. It's John. I think Guerrera is the name I of the love, artist. I think I love, I think I love that song. <laughs> you probably do. I, I, I believe I sent it you to you once. It to and me, yeah. it, it is, it's an amazing song, but it's sort of him just working through, like, faith in, in these times and, like, how what, what he sees in Scripture and what he, what he feels called to in his faith doesn't match up with modern Western evangelicals, and that's essentially the crux of the song. But somehow he wrote it in a beautiful way yeah. that isn't cheesy. Like, that sounds like that would be kind of on the nose, but it's not. It's, it's beautifully written. But the very last line of the song is, love has a million disguises, but winning is simply not one. Right. right? Because the whole song's talking about how, you know, people prominent people in the church um, are going for status and power and all this stuff. And I just love that last line is mm. Christian love is not about winning. It's not yeah. about being right. It's not about having status. Um, and so really uh, the, the church in Philadelphia is being commended for, for persevering mm-hmm. and for, you know, and, and being exhorted, like keep it up. Yeah. Like you've been faithful, but like, it's not going to get easier. Right. <laughs> to be faithful. Yeah. So, um, so and, and I think it's interesting that these were people who, like, they knew the scriptures. They knew the texts that were available, right, about the one true God, about Yahweh. These were not pagans. These were religious people that were causing the, per- the persecution that they were going through. Okay, we've got to keep moving. Are you ready to go on to the next church? Yes. Laodicea. Laodicea. Uh, I, I always say Laodicea. I've never heard it's, it said that Laodicea. way. Laodicea. Laodicea. Okay, I just want to make sure. We all pronounced it differently. <laughs> we, all, we should all continue Laodicea. Our... Laodicea. Laodicea. All right, we're going with Laodicea. <clears throat> this is verse 14 through 22. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor... Excuse me. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich white clothes that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. 
I know that we have the same fun fact, and I already told you you could have it. So I also think have I have the fun fact. I want to see if I'm right, too. It's one of the most Oh, Mac ones. thinks he has a fun fact? Well, I think I know the fact. This is a pretty common fun fact. Yeah. And, and this is one of the most quoted of all of, you know, the seven churches. Wait, like, so you're this, giving the fun fact to no, Mac? No, 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 no. You're, you no, 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 no. You fact. say it. I just, wanna, you still I just get wanted it. to just, say it because I think I'm I think I we all it. have this one. But um, this passage about being lukewarm and you're neither hot yeah. nor cold and spit you out of my mouth is very common. Like, a lot of people know this one. Okay, so. But it's good. I mean, this is, like, out of everything. I, I think there's a reason this is the last of the seven letters. It's a Super Mario fact. Yeah. Okay, so. I, I have that fun fact, but that was not the fun fact I was going to share. Oh, really? So maybe you share your fun fact, and then can I share that one? Yeah, so this city um, also endured an earthquake in AD 60, mm -hmm. so very much closer oh, to, the, uh, to the time of, that this was written. And they actually declined aid from Rome yeah. because they were very self-sufficient. Right. Yeah, so we've talked about how this was sort of like a trade route, like there's sort of a circle going mm -hmm. on here. Um, so both Philadelphia and Sardis also were affected by the earthquake, right? We already mentioned that. And they both received basically a tax cut from Rome <laughs> mm -hmm. to rebuild. And like you said, Laodicea was offered this, but we're like, nothing, we're good. Because this was the most wealthy of the seven churches. Okay, so the, the other cities. fun fact was that there is the only water sources that are nearby are really they're really they're cruddy and so they actually have an aqueduct that's a, that extends five miles out and brings water into the city plumbing super mario yeah that's why i call it a super mario fun fact okay so and by the time the water gets to the city it's lukewarm okay so i'd like to add to that because Go there's ahead. there's more there that i think is important to know is, I is agree. the quality of the water was not actually bad. It was that it was so far away that by the time it got to the city, like you're saying... Well, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is a water source nearby that they can't drink from. It's muddy and mucky, so they have to bring it in the aqueduct. And by the time the water from the aqueduct gets to the city, it's, it's lukewarm. Right. But there's two main water sources that they can, they can go to and, and that they used. One was... Um, just outside of Colossae, and this was, this was like, that was where they'd get their cold, fresh water, probably where it came from, the aqueducts, right? Um, and it was cold, it was refreshing, it was good, but like you said, by the time it gets back to the city, it's lukewarm, it's tepid, there's nothing, there's, n there's nothing to do with it. So It's Dasani water. The other source, <laughs> Thank you, which was, was, was to the north, um, were these hot springs. And, and people would come all over to these hot springs. And actually, um, one of the reasons that Laodicea was so wealthy was because they had a medical school there. And they actually would use um, the water from the hot springs to heal people's eyes. Like, it would help with vision problems and different things like that. Um, so one of the things that's being said here, right, you could go to this source over here, to the hot springs. You go over here and get the cold water. Right, the cold water is going to be good for refreshment. Uh, the hot springs water can be used for healing, right? And he even mentions like, "I'm I'm going to give you balm for your eyes." To like, mm -hmm. so that's a reference to to something that had originated from Laodicea. But right, whether it's the cold or the hot, when you get it, right, there's usefulness to it. Yeah. But then traveling back to the city, it's going to become lukewarm, and it's it has no use anymore. Um, so I think a lot of times, people 
are trying to understand what does this mean because when you think like of your trying to relate it to your faith it's like oh we think about like our faith like oh it be, you want it to be hot like you're on fire for the lord blah blah and if your faith is cold then that's a bad thing that's not the point that's right. not the connection we're trying to make is the cold water is useful the hot water is useful but if it's lukewarm it's useless and that's what that's what's being said to this church is your faith is useless yeah right it means nothing it's not, it's, not, it's not refreshing, it's not, it's not life-giving to your neighbors, it's not, it's not offering any healing or, you know, right. gospel ramifications. So really what he's saying, there's no, there shouldn't be like some sort of differentiation between hot and cold when he's saying, I wish you were either hot or cold. He's saying, I wish you were useful, I wish this meant something. Right, meant something to you, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't. Um, so this is definitely the sharpest rebuke of all the letters. Um, uh, I would say they really are getting the sharpest judgment, but they are still offered an opportunity to repent. But one thing, you know, people mention the passage about being lukewarm a lot. Yeah. Um, it pops up in our preaching and our teaching a lot of the time. Um, and there's a quote I have from one of my commentaries that I, I thought was really nice. It's, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's very forward, but I like this. Just the thought that outright denial is better than phony piety. Right, like these people still claim to be Christians, um, but they were just going through the motions, and 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 better is the one who just outright denies God than the one who says pretends to be a Christian. Right, exactly. right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because I was gonna be, I was gonna say meh, but it just came out. <laughs> that was really weird. But yeah, right. there are, there are people in society, right, who claim to be Christians and are like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and at that point, you're misrepresenting Christ. You're exactly. not denying him. You're misrepresenting him. And, and that's, um, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, is there anything else to add to this? What, what do you guys well, have Well, you also thoughts? see the, the very common uh, reference that you hear in sermons a lot. Verse 20, see, I stand at the door mm-hmm. and knock. Yeah. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so... Like the the popular um, image of this is like Jesus is a homeless person, like asking for you to like give him shelter. But really, what this is most likely a reference to is like Jesus is the master of the house, mm-hmm. and you are one of the servants, which is in line with a lot of Jesus's other like parables and imagery, like like working the vineyard and your and the master coming back, or like you being given the tokens and what you do with the tokens when the master comes back. So that's really what this is most likely referring to is that Jesus is the master of the house, not some homeless dude. Yeah. Well, and also an invitation, like an opportunity still for a relationship because he says, I'll come in and eat with you. I will sit and eat with you. And and we see throughout Jesus's ministry that was that was about relationship, intimacy. Um, Yeah. And that was a reference that that is included a lot of being ready for Christ's return. Right. The whole point about being lukewarm is like, you know, in that analogy, are they vigilant? Are they expecting Jesus? And I think that it is a, a clarion call to the church today because sometimes we don't live our faith out in a way that lives as if Jesus could come back today and establish his kingdom. Are we living in such a way that feeds into that kingdom in an active way, believing that it's coming, knowing that it's coming? You know, and in such a way that when Jesus comes back, we are like the vigilant servants. You know, like, oh, we got, you know, we got some stuff ready for you because we knew you were coming back. You know, um, there are many who claim to be Christians who all have not invested anything into the kingdom of God. And um, that, that's the danger of the Laodiceans. 
Yeah. All right. That's all I... Uh, yeah. Mac, you have any fun factoids for us? I don't. I just wanted to say, I, when I was driving here, <clears throat> I was listening to this uh, passage in my car, read by Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yes, and it was it was kind of spooky, because his voice is so, like, gruffy, and Revelation kind of has this, like, ooh, it's it's so intense and foreboding. But I was I was oddly, or maybe not oddly, maybe it was kind of the point, I was comforted by it because there is a lot of there is a lot of um, opportunity for repentance for these mm-hmm. churches, mm-hmm. and then also just like like you were talking about with with Jesus wanting to come in and eat with you, that sense of like that God seeks out relationship with us, and so it's funny. It's always been funny to me that God seeks us almost more than we seek Him because. W- he doesn't need anything from us and we really need everything from him. So I just thought that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we talked about that when we started the series is like for believers, this shouldn't be a, a part of the Bible that strikes like fear into our hearts. Revelation is the most hope giving life giving um, part of scripture. Cause it's summarizing the whole thing and telling us Christ is coming back. Um, and there's always an opportunity for repentance. Um, and that, that's, you know, you see that over and over again. And so, um, yeah, if we were to sum it up, what, what is kind of the main themes throughout the seven letters? For those that are being called out, there's a call to repentance. And you have call, the opportunity to repent. Yeah, an opportunity and a call to repent. And then the call to persevere. That goes for everybody. For the ones that are struggling, you got to repent and then persevere. You keep the faith after you repent. And then for those who are doing well, you keep the faith. You keep keeping the faith. <laughs> um, there's a call to persevere and not to uh, fall prey to the pressures of culture, of, of, the, of the powers of this world. Okay, so keeping an internal kingdom mindset in all that we do. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add to sort of summarize. This is the seven letters. This is the point. Um, but I think those are the two things that stick out to me, yeah. repentance and perseverance. I agree. I agree. Wow. I didn't, the heretic even agrees this time. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Hey, a clock is, a broken clock is right at least twice a day or something like that. So <laughs> on today's after show, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Sam Witwicky recently converted to Catholicism. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah Shia LaBeouf. Um, and so there's a guy on YouTube, um, Bishop Barron. Is that his real name, Sam Witwicky? No, it's Shia LaBeouf. He, Sam, Sam Witwicky is Transformers. Transformers. Oh, okay. Sam, Sam Witwicky, put, put the cube in, in my chest. chest. I haven't um, watched those movies extensively. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, he recently all converted spark. to Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bishop Barron is a Catholic priest on YouTube. I've, I've seen him before. Or bishop. Um, yeah. uh, and he does interviews and different things and teachings and whatnot. Did he interview Shia LaBeouf? He interviewed Shia LaBeouf. Oh, it's like wow. an hour and a half long interview. I have a three-minute clip I want to show you. Um, oh. and we're gonna, so we're going to watch that and we're going to react to it, and that's today's after show. So Ooh, I'm excited for that. You can only see that if you're a Patreon subscriber. So it's starting at $3 a month. You get access to subpoints. Um, watch us react to the conversion of the Transformers kid. Yeah. Um, and even Stevens. So. And even Stevens. And he dug if holes. If stopped there yeah. or started there, I would have recognized right away. I did see that Shia LaBeouf converted, apparently. So that's interesting. Do the thing. Am I at the right camera? Uh, one second. <laughs> Which one uh, am I uh, looking at? Uh, 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 straight, straight forward, straight forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, eat. 